This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by a Slash Film writer and box office analyst, Ryan Scott. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Ryan, you and I are recording this a day early. I want to give full transparency to the listeners here. So just in case like some gigantic news breaks on Monday night or Tuesday morning, that's why we're not talking about it. I'm having some like uh, contracting work done at my house and it's going to be very loud here. So I figured let's just jump on and talk about uh, the box office. And there's a few news things that I want to talk about in the back half of the show. Uh, and then there's a, a football-related thing that I want to get into with you, um, and I figured you're you're the best person uh, to talk yeah. about that with. Yeah, I so. never really thought that I would be talking about my football love on this show, but hey, uh, you know, uh, all things come around, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so let's get into the news. Uh, let's talk about box office stuff first. So uh, three big releases this past weekend, Saw X, Paw Patrol, uh, or I guess Paw Patrol 2, and um, The Creator, and then Dumb Money expanded into uh, more theaters. So it was kind of a weird weekend at the box office, but tell me how it all shook out, Ryan. How did things go? Um, and so like, you know, as is often the case, uh, particularly in the uh, pandemic era, it's a bit of good with a bit of bad. Um, now, well, Saw Patrol didn't quite catch on like Barbenheimer did. Um, uh, what we ended up with was a situation where Paw Patrol the Mighty movie, which is the sequel to uh, 2021's Paw Patrol the movie, uh, took the top spot. It wasn't as close as some people expected. Um, this was expected to be kind of a three-horse race. But 
the family-friendly movie won out. Uh, it made just shy of $23 million uh, with the finals coming in here. It was $22.7 million. Uh, and uh, Paw Patrol uh, also did reasonably well overseas with another $23 million. So it had just shy of a $46 million global start. And Paramount has kept these movies very cheap. Uh, this was only $30 million to produce. Uh, so this is instantly uh, a incredibly great, good move for them. Um, and also, you got to keep in mind, Paw Patrol is incredibly popular. So this is only going to help move a lot of merchandise and stuff. I would say if it didn't make another dime, uh, this would probably be a good move for Paramount. But it, it figures to do well for the weeks to come. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that, that was our number one movie of the week, followed somewhat closely by Saw X, which is the 10th movie in the Saw franchise, even though it was technically like Saw 1.5, you could say. Because um, it took place early in the timeline. <laughs> Yeah, it took place between the events of the first two films. Um, so it made, uh, but what that did was that put Tobin Bell's Jigsaw front and center again. So it made $18.3 million, which is the the most, uh, the, the biggest opening weekend for a Saw movie since Saw 3D back in 2010. Um, so uh, it made 18.3 domestic, 11.3 internationally for a $29.6 million global start. Uh, the budget I was actually surprised to see was only about $13 million, which, uh, pretty good. So, I mean, you know, this is a win for Lionsgate. So the real lesson here is, you know, again, much like with Barbenheimer, but on a smaller scale, if you counter program, you can easily have two movies succeed on a given weekend, which it sort of seemed like we were getting away from for a little while in that sort of immediate aftermath of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, now it's kind of nice to see where we can have some of these weekends where you have two movies win very handily relative to to you know um uh their budget and and potential audience size uh th so that's the good news i, I want to ask you real quick before we get into the bad news ryan um one question about saw and you, you mentioned saw uh 3d there and and the comparison between saw x and because of the 3d component and that can't the fact that they can't that that movie came out in 2010 which was like right in the sort of aftermath of the first avatar and the big like 3d boom that happened right after that. I'm wondering how much the 3d uh, component juiced the numbers for saw 3d. And like, if you could compare the opening for saw X to the opening for a different saw movie that didn't open in 3d. Cause I feel like that, that comparison point might just be, um, might be weighted a little bit because of the 3D component, you know? Yeah, 100%. And also, let's not forget that Saw 3D was billed also as Saw the Final Chapter as well. So, like, that was also... It kind of got a boost from, like, sort of seeming like a conclusion to the franchise, which, mm -hmm. in fairness, for a while it was. Uh, Saw took a break from 2010 to 2017. So, you know, for for a good while, that was the, the end of it. Um, so, I mean, I can give you a few comparisons. Uh, the... Uh, that $18.3 million is almost exactly what the original Saw made. The original Saw made $18.2 million back in 2004 on its way to $103.8 million worldwide. Now, I will say the international shares of these movies have gone up a little bit over the years, so I would expect Saw X to do a, just a little better than that. Mm -hmm. um, I also don't know how the word of mouth is going to be on Saw X. One of the big things with the original Saw is it, it held shockingly well for, for a horror movie um, because there was kind of that, like, you need to see this to believe this word of mouth that you can't really purchase. Um, now people sort of know what they're getting with a Saw movie. So, yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, you're also looking at like Jigsaw, the, the movie that sort of brought us all back in 2017. 
that movie opened to 16.6 million, uh, uh, ended up with about 104 million worldwide. So, I mean, Saw X is nicely positioned sort of in, in that area. Um, I, you know, that, that was, it did better than uh, much better than Saw 6, which, uh, opened to 14 and topped out at 69.7 worldwide. So, you know, it, it seems to be doing well. Bringing John Kramer back was a good bet. Okay, cool. Um, all right, so so you mentioned good news and bad news. Let's get into the bad news. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, regrettably, the creator, which was a uh, first director Gareth Edwards' first movie in seven years since Rogue One: A Star Wars Story, um, kind of got left out in the cold here. Uh, debuted to just fourteen million dollars. Um, uh, you did a little bit better overseas, pulling in eighteen point three million dollars. So that gave it a thirty-two point three million dollar global start. Um, the problem is it has an, <clears throat> pardon me, an $80 million production budget. Now I have not seen the creator yet, but if you see the trailers, even this looks like a $200 million blockbuster. What Edwards was able to do for less than half the money is remarkably impressive, but, um, I mean, that's just not the kind of start you're hoping for with an $80 million movie. The numbers are not kind. I've talked about this a little bit last year with movies in like an 80, 90 million dollar range. It doesn't really matter the genre. It's such a tough area to work in because like it's it's kind of above even like mid budget where you're approaching big, 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 big budget, but it's not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just so hard to make your money back, Um, you know, particularly outside of a franchise. And, you know, I applaud Disney and 20th Century Studios for giving him the money to do this, to give this a shot, to. And I also think, too, this might still have positive ripple effects on the industry. What he was able to do for $80 million, you know, I think other studios are going to look at that. And I think other maybe franchise films are going to benefit from what Edwards was able to do here. And you might see some budgets come down, sort of implementing some of these tactics and and, and things here. It's just that it just sucks that the movie Edwards made isn't actually going to benefit from any of that. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't want to. It's hard to say. Who knows? Like we talked about how Elemental looked dead on arrival, and then it's almost made five hundred million worldwide. So I don't want to say that it's dead or anything just yet, but it would need a, a small miracle to to save itself at this point. I actually was going to ask you about Elemental. Like, how are you thinking about what a what the definition is of a box office failure in the wake of how much that movie proved to be like a gigantic surprise, like one of the biggest surprises of twenty twenty three at the box office, like. Do you did, did that change your way of thinking at all, or do you consider Elemental just to be an outlier? Elemental is still certainly an outlier. Like that needs to be made very clear. Like if we're looking at like, and also like it seems like the audience indicators for Elemental will better, like the audience scores and and you know Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. So I think your and also the Pixar name really like so even though Elemental was not a franchise film, that Pixar name is like kind of bordering on getting you to franchise status, I, I would argue. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I would say that was a bit of a unique, but it definitely does change my thinking in terms of like, I don't want to jump the gun too much yeah. on, on stuff. But but I will say that guy that looks at this stuff week in, week out for years and years now, mm, the odds are stacked strongly against the creator in this moment. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I think it, I think that's unfortunate. Then also, you mentioned Dumb Money expanding. That was another really unfortunate situation where I loved Dumb Money, 
Um, Sony, because the strikes are still going on or the, the, the Screen Actors Guild strike is still going on, actors can't promote these movies and Dumb Money was a movie that would have really benefited from that sort of thing. So Sony had it sort of limited release for a couple of weeks. It expanded into more than 2,800 theaters this weekend, but it only had a 37% bump in box office, uh, made just $3.3 million dollars. Its total stands at $7.1 million, uh, uh, and it's a $30 million movie. Um, so, you know, that sucks. Uh, yeah. There's no two ways about that. Um, movie deserved better. I think it's one of those movies that would have benefited a lot from a press tour. Uh, it's just not going to get it, you know. Uh, so uh, the good was, uh, you know, we had some counter-programming work this weekend. The bad was, if you're a fan of adult-skewing non-franchise movies, yeah. Those kind of took a hit in the kneecap this weekend. Well, even an adult skewing franchise movie, the R-rated uh, Expendables 4, which <laughs> is in its second weekend, um, evidently did not perform well enough. I, I think the, the writing seems to be on the wall for that one, right? Yeah, I mean, look, let's be pretty clear. Like, the writing was kind of on the wall last weekend. But again, like, in in the spirit of not jumping the gun too much, uh, I, I, you know, I, I didn't, like, you know, write a ton about this last week, but... But uh, yeah, Expendables Four, which is has one of the worst titles of the year, like as far as like Googleable titles, it's <laughs> Expend Four Bulls. Like if you've tried to Google it, it's it's I don't know, I don't know that that helped anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this movie had a hundred million dollar budget, just like the previous two movies in the franchise. Um, Expendables Three w- was a, was a whiff, making just a little more than two hundred million worldwide. But that was like a PG thirteen movie, so I think Lionsgate was thinking, okay, it's been long enough we go back to r-rated we get some younger blood in here we get like megan fox and 50 cent it it hasn't panned out uh it only made eight million dollars on its opening weekend last weekend which was well below industry estimates it fell off a cliff this weekend dropped 69 percent made just 2.5 million dollars in its second weekend it is at number nine on the charts in its second weekend uh, overseas is not coming to bail this one out like it sort of did with Expendables 3. The only reason Expendables 3 wasn't an outright disaster was because it made like $75 million in China. That's not happening here. It is currently at $36.4 million worldwide, and every indicator is that it's just going to keep falling. Um, it will be it will be a miracle if this movie makes $100 million worldwide. I'm guessing right now it's going to be closer to like 70 75 mm-hmm. Um Sure, probably does well on VOD. This is a franchise that that you know foreign sales, DVD rights. Uh, uh, this probably has more ancillary revenue than than certain other movies might. But, ugh, I mean, this is going to be this is kind of quietly becoming one of the biggest you know high profile bombs of the year. I think so. I mean, really bad. We'll see where it ends up. But yeah, this is uh this is going to be a pretty big whiff for Lionsgate and. Lionsgate's not one of those studios that can weather as many of these. And and I, I've talked about this in the past, but Lionsgate really needs to be careful about what big budget movies it does go in on because they really do better in like the mid budget arena. And almost mm-hmm. every time they do a m- big budget movie, it doesn't work out. So I understand why Lionsgate tries that. They need to sort of stop doing that. Cause it, I think you know, uh, my understanding is that they're trying to sell, like they're, they're trying to uh, bump up their um, perceived, uh, I don't know, importance, relevance, whatever in the industry. So they, so that they can be like acquired or bought out or whatever. So like they want to prove that they have um, franchises, which is like obviously the name of the game in Hollywood right now, which is, I think is a big part of the reason why they decided to 
resurrect the Expendables franchise. Oh, it's a recognizable thing that people know or whatever. Uh, but obviously, like you said, you know, things just haven't really panned out that way. So I guess that's another part of the reason if we're looking to like sort of diagnose why these decisions are being made on Lionsgate's part anyway. Um, that is another another factor to consider there. So Yeah, I guess. But they've also been sort of making acquisitions and deals and stuff that make it seem like Lionsgate's actually trying to sort of because I've viewed them as an acquisition target for a long time. But but they also seem to be making moves that indicate maybe they're not trying to do that. I don't know. It's because it's very it's very weird because Lionsgate, I think it was didn't they just buy E1 uh, after uh, yeah, Lionsgate clo- acquired E1 from Hasbro like back in August. So I feel like Lionsgate's almost trying to sort of weather the storm. It's very strange. I agree with you, but it's all very odd. Yeah, weird stuff. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, all right, let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about some news. All right, uh, Ryan, one thing that we mentioned back when the Taylor Swift concert movie was announced was that it seemed like a given, basically, that uh, another major artist was going to be taking the same path that Taylor Swift did, which is basically cutting out the middleman of the studios and teaming up with um, the theaters themselves as the distributor in order to release a, a big concert film movie to theaters. So Beyonce is, of course, the next person doing this. And the Renaissance tour that she's been on recently is now getting the film treatment that's going to be opening on December 1st of this year. And a trailer has come out for that. Um, I just wanted to mention that here as, you know, obviously like that's a very big deal. And uh, the trailer I thought was interesting because the trailer for the Taylor Swift uh, concert documentary made it look like it was just a pure stage show. And the Beyonce trailer is much more of a stage show slash behind the scenes thing. It, it's it's a lot more of like, um, you know, intimate footage of her and her family and like her in the creative zone of like designing the thing. It, it seems more akin to like the, um, I think it was called Homecoming, the uh, Netflix documentary uh, that she did a couple of years ago, um, which was great and like just incredible to watch. Uh, if you haven't seen that, I highly rec- recommend checking it out. Um, but uh, yeah, do you have any thoughts about Beyonce, uh, I guess, taking the, the baton that uh, and that uh, Taylor Swift passed and uh, moving into the theatrical space here? Makes every bit of sense. I mean, especially there's been a lot of talk outside of our direct industry about the concert ticket industry being a complete mess right now. Like concert tickets are incredibly expensive, all these ticket master fees, monopolies like Live Nation and stuff. So for a lot of people going to see these shows, it's well out of hand financially. Mm-hmm. But if you start if you can afford to tape a uh, tape, God, I'm one of my hundred years old. Uh, if you can afford to film, uh, you know, one of these concerts, you know, well, and do a bit of a documentary thing, like you're saying, and you put it in a theater and 20 bucks for a ticket, as opposed to God knows how much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes a ton of sense. Beyonce's just as, you know, Beyonce's right up there with Taylor Swift, as far as popularity goes, it makes a ton of sense. And also we've talked about this a little bit in Slack, the box office prospects for that Taylor Swift movie are crazy right now. Like, <laughs> I just don't think people understand how much money that thing's going to make. Uh, we're looking at like at least a hundred million opening weekend. That's domestically, and it is getting a global rollout. So if Beyonce makes even a fraction of that, you can easily see why this is going to be appealing for artists and you can see why it's appealing for AMC. It makes a ton of sense. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about seeing it. Um, okay, you wrote a story recently, I think this was uh, maybe last Friday, about how uh, there's a new X-Men movie finally sort of in development at Marvel Studios. I think that Marvel Studios has been 
you know, talking for ever since the the Disney acquired Fox's film assets about making a new X-Men movie, making a new Fantastic Four movie, sort of getting these uh, famous characters back in the Marvel Studios um, in the in their collection of things that they have the rights to to, to play with back in their sandbox. Right. Um, so we've been wondering, we've been waiting with bated breath about like, what the hell are they going to do with the X-Men? What is happening? How long are they going to wait? And it seems like we don't have quite the answer to that question yet, but it seems like there's a step being taken toward finally making this thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, last week, uh, as I'm sure a lot of you listeners know by now, the writer's strike officially ended. Um, A deal was made. Now that's got to be ratified and codified by the uh, WGA membership, but that is expected to happen this week. Like there's almost nothing standing in the way of that. So, um, for all intents and purposes, the writer's strike is completely over and, and now Hollywood doors are open. They want to get things going again. So one of the things that there's a bunch of these assignments that will hit the boards from studios and then agents will, will like pitch their clients for projects kind of, that's sort of how it works. But, uh, one of the projects that is now on the boards is, uh, Marvel is, uh, trying to hear pitches for a new X-Men movie, which we've been hearing about for four years, give or take, since the uh, Disney acquired Fox. So this is like the first real honest-to-God step in getting that done. So no names have been put forth yet, but basically a bunch of writers are going to start putting together pitches. Marvel is going to hear those pitches and the deadline report that uh, this originated with is stating that, like, don't expect to actually hear anything until, like, early next year, maybe. But so, look in early 2024, so two, three months from now, we might actually know who's writing the X-Men movie. And then, you know, then you hire a director and then, you know, cast, you know, so then the process starts. But, uh, let you know, right now, uh, I mean, the only, the only thing is, like, this is truly just the first step. Right now, the MCU is booked out um, until like mid 2027. So, you know, you wouldn't expect to see this until late 2027 at the earliest, probably early 2028. So this is still like a handful of years away. Yeah. Um, but again, this is like the first step. But yeah, by that, it, but okay, sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, but I was just gonna say by that point, it will have been almost 10 years since Dark Phoenix. So you know, you've had enough time for people to really like crave some X-Men by that point. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I didn't even think about, well, of course I'd never think about Dark Phoenix. That movie is just like completely vanished. It practically doesn't exist. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, that seems like, you know, as you said, it's it's step one. It's so early that like, this is kind of the extent of the conversation that we can have about it. There's no use to even um, pute- even try to predict what it could do for the MCU or mean because it's going to come out so many years from now. And we don't know what the creative direction of the thing is going to be. Is it going to serve as some sort of reboot? We have no, no idea. I mean, there's so many like different uh, directions they could take with this thing that, um, you know, it's just way too early to talk about, but I just want to put it on people's radar, you know, that it's actually taking a step toward happening. Right. And that you're probably going to start hearing stuff about it. Like that's the big thing, right? Like we know how these things go. It's directors hired, casting rumors, blah, 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 blah. Like this is how this all goes. But like, you know, the other thing you and I have talked a bit about, like, you know, yeah, the MCU's got all these plans through 2027. The way things are going with uncertainty with superhero movies right now, those plans are certainly subject to change. So who knows? But, you know, again, at least that ball is rolling. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it bears repeating that at one point, uh, DC had announced like a 10 year plan for, yeah. uh, you know, their uh, Snyderverse movies, basically, like right in the in the sort of around the Man of Steel period. And most of those movies ended up never happening. So just because something is on the calendar doesn't mean that it's a guarantee. But uh, yeah, anyway, so um, we will definitely keep you all apprised about X-Men related stuff, because I'm very curious to see what Kevin Feige does with those, uh, with, with that property under the Marvel studios proper kind of, uh, kind of banner or whatever. Yeah. Um, I've got my theories about that because it would be very hard to bring mutants into the MCU as it exists. So I, I still feel like we're heading towards some sort of soft reboot reboot that would allow for this to even happen. But yeah. And this will be in the wake of like, I think at least two more big Avengers movies. So like, you know, that could completely reset things and who knows yeah. where we'll be on the other side of that. But um, OK, so I wanted to talk to you about this Toy Story Fun Day football experience. So uh, we didn't talk about this on the podcast when it was announced, but um, maybe people saw this over the weekend. But uh, I subscribe to Disney Plus and um, I think if you subscribe to ESPN Plus, you could watch the Jaguars play the Falcons uh, at 930 a.m. on Sunday morning from London. And uh, I don't subscribe to ESPN Plus, so I couldn't watch the real game. But because I subscribe to Disney Plus, I could watch this Toy Story version of the game, which was set in a digital recreation of Andy's room from the Toy Story movies and had uh, 3D CG, essentially real-time renderings of the players on the field um, playing the game with the Toy Story characters watching from the sidelines. If this is the first you're hearing of this, just like Google Toy Story Fun Day Football and look at some of the videos from this thing because it was kind of crazy. But uh, Ryan, I just wanted to get a sense of, you said you didn't, I was talking to you before we started recording this and you said you didn't watch all of this, but what was your experience like seeing the segments that you did see? Well, I'll tell you, because I, I uh, yesterday, is for as much of a football fan as I am, I've been very busy. So yesterday was my first full Sunday of I get to watch football all day. And like, so I was very excited about yesterday. And, and so I got up and, and threw this game on in the background. I was watching the real game. But then, of course, I'm scrolling around Twitter, as you do when you're watching football. And like, you're seeing clips of this thing. And what was crazy to me is like, it seemed to be happening like pretty much concurrently. Let's be very clear. This was not like there obviously had to be some delay, but it was happening like right alongside the game. So I, yeah, no I read idea. an article that said that there was a 20 second delay. Yeah, so how on earth they were doing this, I have no idea. Like, if you look up the animation, like, I still am befuddled. Like, it it, it, it must have been some AI rendering. I don't know. Like, I really don't know. But it, it's impre- well, the funniest thing about it, and this was pointed out in a tweet, and I looked at some clips, and it was very true that, like, the announcers were pretty much calling the game like a regular football game. And then every once in a while, they'd be like, oh, and there's Emperor Zerg, you know? And, like, and it was then, yeah. like, that would be, you know, it, it was... And then, like, what was interesting, we also had, like, Slinky Dog, like, measuring the distance between, like, a first down or whatever, which was kind of funny. Yes. But, like, I like look, as someone who, like, I'm a huge, I am an enormous NFL football fan. Like, I have said that, I've joked on this podcast that it is my favorite TV show is the NFL. Um, but, like, but, uh, look, baseball ran into trouble and is in trouble a little bit because they were not sort of courting younger viewers and, the MLB's future looks a little bleak because there are not a lot of younger people watching baseball. Like that fan base is just getting older. So like the NFL sort of is like, yeah, well look, you got to sort of try to figure out a way to get young people interested in football. And like, this is a way to do that. They've done like broadcasts on Nickelodeon where they've just had like slime 
games or whatever. Like, and it's like we, you know, but like I don't necessarily have anything. I think this is kind of unique. The only thing I'd be concerned about is like they must be using some kind of AI tech to like do this in real time. And like, I just hope people are getting paid appropriately. <laughs> like that's all, you know, like that's all I like from a production standpoint, from like any royalties that are due, like I just hope people are getting paid. But like from a football standpoint, I'm like, well, this is a pretty unique way to try to get people interested. Yeah. My understanding is that they had um, sensors in the shoulder pads of the players. And then they use that in conjunction with, uh, yeah, like AI machine learning kind of stuff to, to sort of fill in some of the gaps. Um, but if you look at some of the clips on Twitter, like the, the ones from like the official ESPN accounts or like the official NFL accounts, they're going to show you, you know, side by side videos that actually look pretty good. The experience, though, of actually watching this thing uh, in real time was pretty close to a disaster, though, Ryan. I don't know how like if you if, if you ever actually like popped over and like tried to watch a, a chunk of the game or if you just saw clips online or whatever. But like I watched this thing from the start. Um, I've watched the first quarter, like giving it my full attention. And then I just had it, had it on in the background for a while after that. And uh, man, they did not know what the hell they were doing. Like technical difficulties all over the place, like glitching, like insane. Uh, the ball was was um, dropped into place on the field by the claw from the Toy Story <laughs> universe. Uh, so like, you know, all that kind of stuff was clever, all the way that the ways and, and fun stuff, you know, for kids. I get that. Like the, you know, it's indoctrination basically from the NFL. Uh, but, you know, I see that there's a place for that or whatever. And obviously like, uh, there's partnerships going on with Disney and the NFL and all of that. So I, I sort of understand the underlying uh, reasoning and, and um, synthesis of these two companies and all of the stuff that went into it. But like from a technical perspective, the claw would, you know, come and try to drop the ball. And then the ball would just like shoot off, you know, uh, to the corner of a field or something because they didn't, they had, you know, there are multiple footballs on a field when you're playing the game and the tracker was not on the proper ball on the field. So like they would have to cut to this wide shot of the uh, announcers basically with like some action happening in the background where you couldn't really see. And this was like minutes on end of them trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And it was like the premier example and yet another example of like what surely happened here is that some suit in an office somewhere at, at Disney or ESPN was like, all right, we're going to do this by this date and force people to work nights and weekends and scramble to actually make this thing technologically possible. And they probably said to their bosses, like, hey, I this thing isn't really ready for prime time. And people were like, I don't care. We're going to announce it. Make it happen. And Yeah, that, did, that was what I was getting happen. at with my concerns with people getting paid and people like, I just hope it wasn't. I, you're probably right that it was like a nightmare behind the scenes, but yeah, I don't know. It, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, that, that sounds about right to me because it seemed like impossible that you could do something like this and have it work smoothly. But I also think that like the only way, if they want to do more stuff like this in the future, you have to have like a horrible test run. And this might've just been that horrible test run. I guess I just, I, I don't know. Maybe I reject the notion that you have to have a, a horrible test run, especially because you know, nobody was asking for this. This was like a brand new thing that they announced. I think they had done it once with the NHL beforehand, um, which I didn't see. I just read about doing some some background research for this. Um, so I don't think that one was like widely publicized, but I got a press release about this. You know, so Disney and ESPN wanted to make sure that the world knew that this was coming, right? So like, yeah, you know, it, it just seemed like they did not do a real time 
test of like a real game with this technology before they just went live with it. And it seems like, you know, if you're, if you're in that position of like, okay, we have this great brand with the NFL, we have this great brand, the toy story, you know, we're Disney, we're a trusted name, whatever. Why wouldn't you just run, you know, just test a full game without showing it to anyone and work out the bugs before yeah. you go live with it. Just I guess make- you're right. I didn't think about that. You're right there. There's no reason they couldn't have done one just, yeah, without showing people. And then, yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to mention here in case anybody else, any of our listeners out there happened to tune in and watch this thing. Cause I know that it got a lot of attention because of the toy story component and like when it worked well, it was kind of cool, but like, you know, th- there were moments Ryan where like the quarterback would throw the ball directly into the ground. And then the announcers would be like, and he completed the pass. Oh my God. And it just like did not match up with the visuals on screen at all. Uh, but there were a couple moments where it, it actually looked pretty cool. Like the quarterback would like duck his shoulder and like, juke around a tackle or something and like break out for a run and actually looked like a real person running down the field you know the the physics worked and looked good and everything but those moments were few and far between unfortunately so uh, i just wanted to give a, a quick sort of um i don't know review i guess uh, uh, maybe a, an admonishment of the people up top at disney for going live with this when they definitely were not prepared to uh, to deal with the technical difficulties there but um, anyway, that was Toy Story Fun Day Football, uh, and I'm sure uh, they're going to be doing more of this stuff in the future. I only hope that, yeah, they, they do some more testing and uh, can sort of work out the kinks, because it's a cool idea in theory, but in practice, it was um, it was fairly disastrous. So, oh, Okay, uh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, yeah, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, thank you to Ryan for joining. Um, actually, Ryan, let's take a second and just tell people where they can find more of your work online if they want to track you down. Yeah. So, uh, you know, hey, my author page on SlashFilm.com, I'm, I'm uh, happy to be gainfully employed. Uh, so, you know, check out all my work there. And uh, I'm mostly still on Twitter, uh, despite the hellscape that it has become so you can find me at ryan scott writes uh like writes w-r-i-t-e-s and that's also my handle on most other platforms so i'm also on threads uh don't really post on tumblr but i am on tumblr which would probably end up being more active if twitter really does fall apart so uh just look for me pretty much on any social media uh sites there Cool. All right. Excellent. You can find me on, uh, unfortunately, still on Twitter. I'm mostly like lurking (laughs) these days. Uh, And Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. The SlashFilm show is published two times a week, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. If you watch Toy Story Funday Football, let me know what you thought about that. Uh, please leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.